Good to see everybody this morning. Title of our lesson is, What is the Church All About? And Colby read for us this morning from Ephesians, the third chapter. And that's what we'll be taking a close look at. If you have your Bible, uh, we'll look at several passages. And I also want to say, um, a lot of the passages won't be up here on the screen necessarily, but if you want a copy of the outline, it's there in the back. And there's a lot of passages we're going to take into consideration this morning. So what is the church all about? Well, that's not just a simple answer. And there's a lot of misunderstanding within the religious world and within just the world in general about the church. And so the answer to that question actually requires a lot of study and a lot of investigation. So we're going to talk about some misunderstandings of the church. We're going to talk about Bible pictures, and I'll explain that in just a few moments. And then finally, we'll wrap up with grace and reconciliation. So if someone were to ask you, what is the church all about? What would you say? Well, as I suggested just a moment ago, answering that is not an easy question. It's not a one word or one, uh, one or two word answer or a one or two sentence answer. But it takes some explanation and it takes some study in order to be able to answer that question. The church is the th- central theme within, within the scriptures. And over in Acts, the 20th chapter in verse 28, the Apostle Paul said that the Lord, that God purchased it with his own blood. And if the church is that important, then it's vital that we come to understand what it's all about. But there's a lot of misunderstandings uh, about the church. And so we want to take a look at some of those things this morning. But I want to say this as we get started. Matthew, the 16th chapter, and about verse 18, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the word that is used there, ecclesia, just simply means a calling out. But whenever you read through the scriptures, you can see that people are called out for various reasons. Sometimes it's for religious, spiritual purposes. Sometimes it's just for secular reasons. But in the context of Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus is talking in spiritual context there. I am going to build my church, my called out people. There will be those that hear about Jesus. They will decide to follow him. He's building his church, his following. Now, let me say this about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, you are called by the gospel. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, he saved us and he called us according to his own purpose with a holy calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, He called us into the fellowship of His Son. Whatever God was doing through Jesus Christ, His Son, He calls us into fellowship, joint participation with Him. Jesus said, I'll build my church. So God calls. He calls by the gospel according to His purpose with a holy calling. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 again. And listen to what Paul has to say. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, 
This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 9, Paul says, the fellowship of this mystery. That word mystery just simply means something that had to be revealed. And all Paul is saying is that man on his own did not understand how God was going to bring about man's salvation. So he's saying that it had to be revealed. This mystery would now be made known. And you'd come to understand it by looking at the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. So as you take a look at the church, then you come to understand what God was doing and what God had in mind. That's just the first part. That doesn't tell you a whole lot about the church, but Paul's saying it had to be revealed and that by looking at the church, you would come to understand the manifold wisdom of God and what he means by that is the many-sided wisdom of God. And the more you take a look at the church and the more you come to understand it, it's like, wow, (laughs) he really did accomplish a lot in that church. (laughs) It's amazing (laughs) what God has done. So what's the church all about? Now I want to kind of deviate there for just a second and talk about some of those misunderstandings. Because people have a lot of a lot of misunderstanding. And before I go into this, I want to say I'm not being critical. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, people have a lot of misunderstanding. And there's a lot of assumptions about the church. But Paul says, only way you come to understand it is because it's a mystery. And it had to be revealed. In this same context of Ephesians 3, if you back up just a little bit towards the beginning of the chapter, Paul says that I wrote to you times that when you read you might come to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what's Paul saying? Through the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to him as an apostle. He wrote it down so that he understood this mystery, what God was doing. And then he sent it off, in this particular instance, to the church at Ephesus. So when you read, you can come to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's the only way you come to understand. And yet sometimes people make assumptions about it. So I'm just going to run these four by you. This is from someone else. This doesn't originate with me. This is what one writer said about this and some of the things that he had kind of observed. And he said, 
Some people think about the church like a gas station. You just go there once a week, you get filled up, and when I need more, I'll be back. <laughs> and he said they kind of have that approach to the church. He said some folks see the church like a movie theater. I go there, I get entertained, and when I leave, I want to feel better than when I got there. <laughs> That's kind of the approach. He said some people see the church like a drugstore. I kind of have some pain right now. And I'd like to be have it relieved. And so I go to church. When the pain's gone, I'm gone. He said some folks see the church like a big box store. A Sam's, a Costco. I take my family, I go there, we're looking for what we want. And there's more than one in our town. So I'm looking for the best deal. And that's where I go. So it's kind of like a gas station. It's kind of like a movie theater. Kind of like a drugstore. It's kind of like a big box store. He said the problem with that is this. I buy my gas here, there, and everywhere. I might go to Quick Trip, I might go to Casey's, I might go to something. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I just swear to And as far as going to the movies, just go to any theater that's playing whatever I want. And drugstores, CVS, Walgreens, doesn't matter. And Sam's, Costco's, wherever I can get the best deal. He said the problem with that is I have no loyalty to any of those. But I have loyalty to a local congregation. He said, so if you see it that way, it's an improper understanding. He went on to say this. He said, I believe in our society, we are influenced by consumerism. We live in a capitalistic society. Our economy is driven by consuming. And so that influences the way we look at the church. It's the gas station. I just need filled up right now. So I go get it. I want to entertain, so I go get it. I need a prescription filled, so I go get it. I need something for my home. I just go get it. And when I've got it, I'm through with it. And he said that impacts the way we look at church, gas station, theaters, and drugstores, and big box. And so it can influence the way we think about church. So now then, Bible pictures. Most Bibles don't have pictures except for maps, so that's not necessarily what I'm talking about, just pictures as pictures. But the Bible does have pictures. It has what is referred to as metaphors. It's like word pictures. 
A metaphor is something that symbolically represents something else. I'll give you an example. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, talking about his disciples, he said, you are like the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, you're not literally salt and literally a light. But using a metaphor, my disciples are like salt. They help preserve. Preserve that which is good. They are like light. They point to Jesus who is the light. Paul talking about the church. He says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, the church, people, is <laughs> not literally the ground or literal pillars, but the church or the truth rests on it and it's held up by it. You see that? So it's word pictures, metaphors to help us to understand. So Paul says in Ephesians 3, that by looking at the church, we would come to understand the manifold wisdom of God, the many-sided wisdom of God looking at the church. And Paul says it was a mystery. And it had to be revealed what God had in mind. So you take the church and you look at it And Paul says men can come to see. They can come to understand what God had in mind. So what I want us to do is take a look at the various sides of the church. Looking at the church from different perspectives. And what's the metaphors that are used in the New Testament that describe the church, that help us to come to understand it and to understand what God was doing. So here we go once again. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my call out. I will build my church. That's important. That group is going to be called out. Called out to Jesus. John the 16th chapter in about verse 4. I'm dyslexic sometimes. That's John 14 and verse 6. Not 16, 4. <laughs> Just like in our lesson this morning, there's really no 1 Corinthians 17, right? <laughs> So John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the truth, the life, and the way. No man comes to the Father except by me, except through me. You can't get to the Father unless you first come to Jesus. So in John the 6th chapter, Jesus said that no man can come to me Unless the Father who sent me draws him. Well, how are we drawn? Verse 45. It is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned 
then comes to me. That's how we come. Being taught by Jesus Christ. That's how we are drawn to Him. So in Mark the 16th chapter, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, go preach the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, about verses 3 and 4, Paul says, I preached the Gospel, I delivered the Gospel to you of first importance. How Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Paul said, I delivered to you the gospel. And that's the gospel. Jesus died for us. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Go preach the gospel. Go tell the world. That's what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And he wants to draw you to him. Now, why do we go to such pains (laughs) to point that out? Well, one of the reasons is this. Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time delivered to the saints. Part of that faith is what I just explained to you about coming to Jesus Christ. That's the way we come to Him. Why is that so important? And the reason why that's so important is because Satan wants to deceive us. Because he knows if you try to come to Jesus any other way, or if you try to get to heaven any other way, then you're lost. And he can keep you in the dark. So I had some fellows stop by my house one time. This is a number of years ago. You know, lots of things have happened in our society over the years, right? There used to be young men running around. I'm just saying this the way it was. There used to be men, young men running around two by two, white shirts and skinny black ties. Remember those guys? <laughs> they were with a certain religious group. And so one day they showed up at my door, they knock, and I see who it is, and I say, come on in. (laughs) And so we started to have a discussion. One thing led to another. I could tell they were getting a little frustrated because I wasn't just buying what they were selling. And pretty soon the guy asked me, he said, how do you even know you're saved? Frustrated. I said, well, Jesus said... He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I said, how about you? He goes, I got down on my knees. And I asked the Lord. Am I saved? I said, yeah. He said, I had this peaceful feeling settle over me. I know I'm saved. Do you see a problem with that? This is what Jesus said. Do you see what Satan does? I heard a lady say one time, if God spoke directly to people in the Old Testament, he can speak directly to me. And a guy I knew that was a preacher, he said to her, 
It's not a matter of what God can do. It's what has God done. And this is what He has done. And Jesus says this is the way we come to Him. And He said, go preach the Gospel. And that's the way we're drawn. And so Satan deceives people. And they will talk about all kinds of experiences. And I'm not here to argue about their experiences. What I'm here to just say is, this is what God's Word says. Now, do you want your experience? Or do you want to thus saith the Lord? It's up to you. Not being critical. I'm just saying, Satan's still alive and at work. So it's important. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He's going to call them. How's he going to call them? In some vision? In some dream? No. Paul says you are called by the gospel. I got, I can put my finger on it. So now then, moving on. Ephesians chapter 1 about verses 22 and 23. Paul said he put all things in subjection under him. Talking about Christ. And made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Did you get that? That's a word picture. Jesus Christ is the head and his church is his body. Now, if I extend my arm, I reach out, grab this Bible by my hand, pick it up. My head told my body to do that. Same thing spiritually. Jesus Christ is the head. The church is his body. The body is to do what the head says. Now, that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But it's profound. Because people in the name of religion do all kinds of things that the head never told them to do. So as we think about, we can't go through all the passages, I just use these sort of as references. So we think about what the head, Jesus Christ, has told us to do, Christians to do. I know this on the day of judgment, when he separates the sheep from the goats. He says to those on his right hand, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they said, when do we see you hungry or naked in prison? And he says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Therefore, come and inherit the kingdom prepared. For you from eternity. Jesus saying. It's the way we should treat our fellow men. But let me say this. Jesus also says. Sermon on the Mount. Let them see your good works. That they may glorify your father which is in heaven. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, which we'll talk about a little further in a moment. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's the one who decides what we do. Within His body, the church universal and the church local. There's also commands that are given to individuals and there's commands that are given collectively to churches. For example, 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. If a man provides not for his own, that's that individual, he is denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. That's my responsibility, individually. Take care of my home. Collectively, we are to assemble together. 1 Corinthians 11 when you are come together as a church, we worship together. There's things that we're commanded individually, and there's things that we are commanded collectively, but we are His body, and the head tells us what we are to do. Can we see that? So now then, we are also... The bride of Christ. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Revelation, the 19th chapter, John says, that an angel said to him, Come, let me show you the Lamb's wife. Chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The lamb, his wife, the bride of Christ. Paul said over in 2 Corinthians 11 chapter about verse 2, I betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying the church is like that bride that has been made ready, prepared for and he says, I betrothed you to one. Christ. Not to many. To one. The church is to be his faithful bride. Now back to Ephesians 5. About verses 31 and 32. Paul said, It is written, a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave unto his wife. And the two shall become one. Next verse. 
This mystery is great, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Another word picture. The relationship between the church and Christ is just like the husband and wife. Can you see that? We're the body and we're his bride. The church is also his kingdom. Understanding how it's used. Matthew 16, once again. Upon this rock I will build my church and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. John, the 18th chapter, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus said, for this reason, I was born. Yeah, I'm a king. Now, we've talked about this a lot on Wednesday nights because we went through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Talked a lot about kings. And we talked a lot about the kingdom. And I could ask you, you don't have to answer, but I know you know this. There's four parts to that kingdom, isn't there? KLST. It's the king, it's the law, it's the subjects, and it's the territory. Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, yeah, I am a king. You have a law? He brought the new covenant. You have subjects? Yeah, I've called them out. And everyone that chooses to bow the knee to me. What do you rule over? Their hearts. He's a king. We're the kingdom. The church. But we're his family. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter and verse 18. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Second Corinthians six, Paul says. It's written, come out from among them, <laughs> saith the Lord. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. On one occasion, Matthew, the 12th chapter, Jesus was sitting in a house and there was such a crowd there that his mother and his brothers came looking for him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he looked at them and he said, who is my mother and who is my brothers? That must have struck a little inquisitive look on their face, right? And then looking at his disciples, he stretched forth his hand and he said, these, are my brothers and sister and my mother. Those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's my family. Ephesians, the second chapter. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How many people do you have in your household? How many members you have in your family? That's what he's saying. You are members of the household of God. 1 Timothy 3. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you might know how to conduct yourself 
in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See the metaphors in that passage? Not only are you the family, you're the pillar and ground of the truth. You're the household. Switching metaphors. First Corinthians, or yeah, First Corinthians chapter three, about verse sixteen. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, what do we understand about that temple? Well, there's a couple of things we want to keep in mind both the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle is referenced over in Hebrews 8, chapter about verse 5, where it said that God told Moses, make sure you make all things according to the pattern. In other words, when you erect that tabernacle, you make sure it's built exactly to the specifications I gave you. Over in First Chronicles, about the twenty-eighth chapter. Remember when we talked about David and how he wanted to build the temple? God said no. But what did God do? He gave David the blueprints. And you give these to Solomon. He gave him the directions on how to build that temple. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, you are the temple. So we make sure we build according to what God says. Same chapter, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. You, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 once again. No, you're not. That you're the temple. Jesus Christ is the foundation cornerstone. He told Peter upon this rock. What was the rock? Peter had just confessed him as the Christ. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. That's the direction from which everything else is going to be built. So stop and think about it a minute. You're a body. You're a bride. You're a kingdom. You're a family. You're a temple. Paul said this was a mystery. And it had to be revealed. The manifold wisdom of God. The many-sided wisdom of God. You take that church, pick that thing up, spin it around, look at it. And you see it from different angles. Wow, he's the head. We're just like the body, aren't we? <laughs> oh my, that relationship. 
He's the husband and we are the bride. He's the king and we are his subjects. We're his family. God is our father and Jesus is our elder brother. We're the temple and he dwells in us through his spirit. Called by the gospel. Bought by the blood of Christ. Collectively his body. Betrothed his bride. Submitting to the king. Part of his family. Worshipping and serving. Spirit dwelling in. We're the temple. Can we see that? So let me ask you this question. You want me to go on? Some people say, no, it's not. <laughs> Let's go just a little further. You want to? Word pictures. Ephesians 6. We are soldiers. Putting on the whole armor of God. Fighting spiritual battles. Hebrews 5. We are teachers. Matthew 5. We are salt and light. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are farmers sowing seed and waiting for the harvest. We are athletes competing according to the rules. John 10. We are His sheep. Romans 12. We are like priests offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Romans 11, we've been grafted into the olive tree. John 15, we are branches connected to the vine bearing fruit. Metaphors. Many-sided. Wisdom of God that helps us to understand what was God doing in that church? <laughs> Can we see that? Isn't it amazing what He accomplished? Final two thoughts. Grace and reconciliation. So the point I want to make before we get to this is backing up to the misunderstandings. Church is not just some place we go. Church is not some place where we just get. Church is a reality. You live it. That's what it is. Let me back up to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 10. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of his grace in all his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's a mouthful, isn't it? What's the church all about? Verses 1 through 3, we were dead in our sins. We were allowing Satan to lead us astray. Verses 4 through 7, But God showed His riches and His mercy and love towards us. And He raised us up to sit in heavenly places. Verses 8 and 9, We were saved by grace, not of our own works, but by His grace. And verse 10, We are His workmanship. You know what he's saying? Look at the church. You are his masterpiece. You look at all that God has created. And Paul says, look at the church. That's God's finest work right there. Isn't that amazing? And he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're privileged to work with him. Saved by grace. Now reconciliation. Verses 12 through 18. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth, of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near, For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You know what Paul just said? He reconciled us. And he said he reconciled us both. That's Jew and Gentile. That's everybody. And he said he preached peace 
To reconcile is to make right, to make peace between us and God and between one another. And you know how he did that? He did it in one body. Through Christ. Because everybody has to come to Jesus Christ to get to the Father. Jew, Gentile. And through Christ, He reconciled us to Himself. And He reconciled us to one another. They're no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer male nor female. There's no longer bond nor slave. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. We're all one. Reconciled to God and reconciled to one another in one body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit you were baptized into one body. Ephesians 1, he is head over his body, which is the church. Can we see that? It's amazing what God did. And in that body, we should have care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12. Build up one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. All those one another passages in the New Testament. But sometimes, we as people, we may get to feeling like, well, I know Jesus says that, and that we're supposed to do that, but I don't see anybody doing that for me. You ever been there? <laughs> well, I'm glad I've never been there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've been there. But here's the point. Romans 5 and verse 8. For while we were in our sins, Jesus died for us. So what's the point? Jesus didn't sit around and wait and go, well, when they straighten up, when they start being nice to me, then I'll be nice to them. No, he says, while they were in their sins, God sent his son to die for us. So what's the point? We're to live as Christ. Not wait. <laughs> but be the first. So I'll wrap it up by saying this. I just encourage us to stop to think, to study from God's Word. Because Paul says it was a mystery. And what is the church all about? Well, we're His body. We're His bride. We're His kingdom. He's our elder brother. We are part of the family. We are the temple. We're his sheep. All of those things. Many sided. We're royal priests. We're a holy nation. We're pilgrims just passing through. And our citizenship is in heaven. Let me finish with this. 1 Corinthians 15. One of these days, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will deliver the kingdom up to the Father. The only way you can be a part of that kingdom, Jesus says, is to be born of the water and of the Spirit. 
It's not asking. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you're still outside the kingdom. But if you want to be a part of the kingdom, part of his body, part of the family, it's Jesus that said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I want to extend the invitation. If we can help you this morning, make your relationship right with the Lord. You let us know while together we stand and while we sing.